The uh, scripture today uh, comes from John chapter 4. John 4, verse 43 through 54. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. When the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. How many times have we asked for a sign? I looked online and I couldn't find anything that I could put up here for you, but let me just describe what's in my head. There's a guy standing there. He's standing in front of his grill. He's looking away from the grill and he's got all kinds of meat sitting on the grill. The clouds have parted. The sky is bright as could be surrealistically bright. I mean, it's incredible. There's a quadruple rainbow at the edge of the sky. And there's a lightning bolt coming down behind him, actually cooking the meat for him. And he is praying, God, give me a sign, something. Have you ever had a sign? Have you ever had something that you would say, this is not normal? Do you pray for that? Of course we, we do. We did this morning already. We don't know what all people are going through, but we pray for it. It's an interesting passage that we have this morning because it creates a bit of a dilemma for, for not only uh, the early church, but for us as we understand this story. It's a story that talks about the role of faith and signs and wonders. And yes, there are those that have asked the Lord for a sign. We ask the Lord for leading, guiding. If we're in a decision-making process and we don't know what we're going to do or how we're going to decide, Lord, give, it, give us an indication, something that tells us which way you want us to go. 
Faith is at the center of it. Oswald Chambers said, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. That's a pondering one. Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in the fiery furnace. Now, let's give a little background to this text because uh, there's, it's an important background. This was, in fact, the second of the seven signs in the book of John of Jesus calling and of an identifying of him as the Messiah. The first one was when Jesus turned the water into wine at a wedding celebration. And that was significant. It was significant because there were people, interestingly, not of faith background in Samaria that believed in him and never saw him. They believed in him and weren't even at the wedding. They simply received the news of what Jesus had done and believed. Now that's important to remember coming into this story. You will also remember a previous story with the woman at the well where Jesus' first trip into Samaria was ill-advised by his disciples. His disciples saying, don't, we don't want to go that way. They're not our friends. We, they're probably, we could be in danger. And they tried to warn Jesus to not go that way. Now, whether it was his own calling or whatever it was, Jesus said, we're going that way. And in fact, ends up with this encounter. Uh, apparently, he was a little faster than they were because he's already engaged with the woman at the well who has not had a spectacular life, a lot of trail of sin and brokenness in her life. And Jesus related to her in a way that no one else, even from her own people, would. She was looked down on socially. She was rejected. It's an indication that the well that she was drawing water from was actually not the closest one to the city where she was from. It was the second one further away, more isolated, where she wouldn't be ridiculed yet again. And Jesus responded to her in a way that was healing and powerful and told her to go and to be a believer. Basically, he led her to to the fact that there was a savior, he was the Messiah, that he was coming and that he was bringing that water that would fill her and nourish her eternally. And we've sang about that already this morning. And so this whole encounter with the Samaritan woman was a preface to something that is powerful to the call of, uh, of Christ's mission on this earth, which is, we're going to be called to be a people that brings hope to those that are in need. And at the same time, he was declaring that it may not be the typical, wonderful, accepted people that look great 
and are always having their lives together. It's the downcast. It is the rejected. It is the people that have never heard of faith and heard of God. And that was declaring his mission. Now, that first miracle that Jesus gave with the, at the wedding was one that was a little bit different than the second one. Because in the first one, basically, there was no person directly involved, and he simply did the miracle without saying anything about it. He just told them to go get the things and fill them with water, and when they went to take them to the the person in charge, they poured it out, and it had become wine. This second one is different. The second one is a direct healing. And that's one of the themes for this morning in the, in the Sunday school lessons and curriculum for classes uh, is this whole concept of, of the power of Jesus' healing ministry, which is a very significant part of it. I'd like to consider four points in this lesson. There certainly are answers to some of the questions that we may have. Because many of us have prayed for healing and it's not come in the way that we wanted it or the way that we looked for it, the way that we hoped for. And I want to just clarify this by saying God is never uncomfortable with a prayer request. He wants us to bring our requests. He wants us to ask Yes, for healing. That's not only okay, God wants us to come to him. That being said, the first thing God is looking for in his people are those who are seeking him fervently. In the first sign or miracle, there wasn't faith needed to be uh, done by anyone. The Lord was asked, he did it. But in this sign today, in today's story, the Lord puts into effect the need for the faith of the Father, or at least he's introducing this question of faith. And this is really the story about someone who was also not only from Samaria, but someone who was called a nobleman, and we'll talk about that more in a bit, but someone who never even met Jesus Someone who traveled 25 miles from where Jesus was only on the basis of what he heard and what he and his household believed. Verse 47 of the passage that was read. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. That seeking is the first step. It's one of the first things that God is, is, is inviting us to come. Anytime, any place. If you're driving, that's fine. Don't close your eyes in prayer. Not a good idea. But anytime, we can be in prayer all day long. On and off. And and. 
you know, I, I'm, I'm not disrespecting the importance of amen. Amen is great. It's a so be it is what the literal translation of it is. Um, that, that's a good thing. But, you know, it's still the intent of our hearts in seeking God that makes more is more important than the eloquence of our prayer. My grandpa was incredible prayer. I don't know. I've never known anybody that prayed like my grandpa Bontrager. Uh, he was amazing. It was like it was like poetry in motion. It was just eloquent, and I was like, "How do you do that?" I've never been able to do that. It's just an amazing way of praying. That's not the significance of it. It's that there is a person there that we ourselves are willing to seek God is the first thing that is vital. Um, And we see that after he arrived where Jesus was staying, he was granted an audience to speak with him. And the fact that he is asking Jesus to come down with him and, and to go the 25 miles, he was going to accompany Jesus. He wanted to make sure that Jesus got there. Now, you can understand the urgency that someone would have if their child is dying. And it was an urgency. This comment that Jesus gives next is a, sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? Let me read it to you once again. Verse 48. Jesus then said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, he is referring to those that represent the faith hierarchy of those rejecting him as the Messiah. And and what he's actually referencing here are more of the uh, of those from the the religious community that had the market on God, if you will, they were the authorities on God, and he is naming something that is a problem. Many people seek God when you want to get the results, but you don't really want to have to give anything more than that. We say a prayer. But I'll tell you, I'll, I'm sure that all of you have experienced this. When you have someone that you love who is in danger or is at risk of death, you pray more fervently. And what God wants and what Jesus is saying here is the signs and wonders are great. He's not belittling signs and wonders. The thing is that the signs and wonders are a part of the genuine seeking of our hearts for God. It's sad when we get ourselves into so much trouble and then we want the signs and wonders to get us out of trouble so we can go back to the status quo. That is the human experience that is universal for us because we're constantly dealing with the brokenness of sin. Jesus' reply was not, a criticism of this nobleman. 
it was in fact a challenge to say, make sure your hearts are truly seeking God before you're seeking the healing and the signs and the wonders. He was disappointed in the attitude of so many of faith. Let me ask you a question. How much do we get caught up in the next big thing? Do we need some new thrill, an amazing attraction, a movie, a concert, something that inspires us? We come to church on Sunday morning so that you can be inspired to live another week. We, we look for all kinds of things that will move us. And wow, that was powerful. And we've got a great story to add to the next campfire experience, or the next gathering around the table. And we have this, uh, we, we can't stop talking about it until a week later we've forgotten it already and now we're looking for the next big thing. Where is the steady, constant faith that holds us in peace in the midst of the storm. I, I've said this before. I'll, I'll say it a thousand times again. I just love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I just even love saying their names. I mean, it just, it's, I just think that is the most amazing story, not because of them not getting burned. But the fact that they were able to say to the highest official, the ruler of the entire land, to say, we will not bow to anyone else but our God. The signs, the wonders of that story, the miracle of that story came out of faith. That's where it came from. The beauty of that story is that they were saying, you are our God, O Lord, and we will not turn away from you. That's what God wants most for us to seek him. Secondly, there was something else that was significant about this nobleman. This guy was an official. He understood rules and regulations. He understood what it was to tell somebody, hey, you're doing this, you do that, you go here, you go there. He knew what authority meant. And he actually worked for one of the meanest and toughest rulers in the Roman Empire. And so he understood that. And he understood that when he came to Jesus, he was coming to an authority because he and his household believed that when he had performed the miracles, the miracle of the, the wedding feast, they believed in him. You don't go 25 miles to turn around and go 25 miles back without an urgency of belief and without saying, here he was, someone who could command even Jesus to do something if he wanted to. And here he was acknowledging Jesus' authority. And see, that's, that's the other part where we get caught. We end up wanting to see the signs and wonders 
without recognizing that they only come through the one who has authority and not through our demands and not through us doing all the right things. Or even as Paul was addressing uh, numerous times, not because we've lived such perfect lives. If we would just live a nice enough life and if we, were, if we had everything in order and we were oh so faithful in every aspect, then it would be fine. And Paul was saying, no, if righteousness could be gained by the law, Christ died for nothing. In other words, if righteousness could be gained by us doing all the perfect things, no, we're not perfect people. We have all kinds of faults. We have all kinds of wanderings. We have all kinds of driftings. We have all kinds of, uh, of mental lapses and spiritual lapses. We're a people broken by sin, but redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can come. But we are called to recognize it's not me, Lord, doing the right things. It's that you are the authority. You are the Lord of my life. And I'm asking and seeking. And so this request was coming from a nobleman to someone he recognized as having a higher authority. You will be familiar, this is almost a parallel story to the, the uh, centurion soldier who had one of his young servants, who also had one of his young servants and considered as the son was dying and he approached Jesus. And he's the one who said to Jesus, you just, you don't need to come. So it's a little different from this story. You don't need to come, just say the word. And the power of that story was that he recognized that Jesus was so powerful, all he had to do was say the word. This nobleman wasn't quite there yet, but he did call Jesus sir. And he was an official of Herod's court. He did not need to lower himself below Jesus' status, but he did. And so then Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives and so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way no arguments you are the one in authority I'll take you to him I'll accompany you 25 miles Jesus said how about now now he's healed he lives so the third thing is to believe what God says. And also in his written word. In his written word, there will be no discrepancy with what he is saying to you here and now or any day of your life. There is going to be a consistency to that and you can trust in that. Charles Spurgeon said this, very kind of, kind of a provocative statement. He says, I would recommend you either believe in God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There's no logical standing between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation. A faith that paddles about the edge of the water is Poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith 
and it is not good for much. Wow. Basically, believing. The fact that, the, that this nobleman turned and accepted Jesus' word and went back home without Jesus was an incredible recognition that God's word is not only the authority, but it will be the final word. It will be that which decides the situation. And then finally, we're called to act on God's living word. Not just his written word, which will be consistent, but to act on it. And, and that's what the nobleman did as he turned and went home. And then verse 51. And as he was now going down, going back home, his servants met him on the way there and told him, saying, your son lives. Now, I find this interesting. This tells you about the faith of, of this guy. It tells you something. He says, inquired of them, what was the hour when he got better? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was at the same hour in which Jesus had said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. And it is significant that these healings were in Galilee. As he went on his way, he was amazed. Think about the joy that he experienced on the second half of his journey home. Up to this point in Jesus' life, his time and his ministry had revealed that he had come to bring good things of the age to come. Good things in heaven, yes. But the second sign revealed the power of his word to act instantaneously, even at a distance, and the need to us for us to not only accept it, but to look for it and long for it. Both of these revealed that he had only to think and it was done. It was made clear by being followed by a word of power from the one who is the word. Jesus was being revealed in this story as the son of God. And the signs and wonders were not just in this particular experience. In Mark 16, 20, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. In Acts 5.12, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. They were all of one accord in Solomon's portico. Romans 15.19, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So where the gospel of Christ is preached, expect signs and wonders. 
And notice in Acts 6, 8, it says about the martyr Stephen. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And that was what got him killed. That's what got him martyred. Because he was doing things that were not going to be accepted. And so we might ponder these things as about signs from God. And I'll give you six. If you want just quick notes. First, if you see answers to prayer, count it as a sign from God. Oh, we could explain it. Well, medically, physiologically, it's possible that Well, there's all kinds of ways that we can look at it. Well, sometimes it does happen where someone is healed. Sometimes, yeah, there. No. If you see the answers to prayer, count it as a sign from God. Otherwise, we're going to always look for explanations away from ascribing to God the glory of what has happened. Second, if your thoughts, feelings, and prayers, scripture reading, inner sense of the Holy Spirit, counsel from other believers, all these, if they all line up with each other, it is very likely a sign or an outright voice from God. God is not going to lie to you through his word. He's not going to lie to you through other believers. So when you have any combination of those, maybe even only one of those, don't rule out the fact that God may be speaking into your life because there's nothing, we know this from him sending Jesus, there's nothing he wouldn't do to reach us and to bring healing to us. So line up those things. Scripture reading, feelings, thoughts, prayers, inner sense of the Holy Spirit, counsel from other believers, line them up. Third, if an important event happens which somehow connects to what you've been praying about, at least consider it as an indication of God's leading, a sign. Fourth, God's word is filled with signs. Read them, know them, follow them. Fifth, the Bible teaches that the causes you see around you indicate that the effects are coming soon. So when you start to see a cause of something, there will be effects. And that's the reality. It doesn't take a prophet. It doesn't take a priest, a pastor. It doesn't take any official. It doesn't take a faith healer to be able to, you don't need that to indicate to you that when you see something that is a a break from what God's word is saying, there's going to be an effect from it at some point. Likewise, in faith, there is a positive cause and effect for faith. When we believe, God will move and work. As, and number six, when God is giving you a sign, 
you will gain clarity, not more confusion. That is one of the biggest ones because the effect of God's work will be greater clarity, will not be confusing, will take away fear and not increase fear, will take away anxiety and not increase anxiety. It's important for that to line up as well. As 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Paul said in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 7, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And then this, Jeremiah 29 Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. We will be found. We will be reached. We will be moved by the power that we may not fully understand. There was one story situation in which the sign of God could not be missed. There was a little white wooden church that sits on Main Street in the corner lot uh, of a town called Swan Quarter. In 1874, the congregation of the Methodist Church in Swan Quarter sought a new place to build their church. They asked Sam Sadler if he would sell his lot on Main Street. He refused, telling the people he had plans for that parcel. Another man then donated a lot on Oyster Creek Road, several blocks blocks from the desired location, and the church was constructed there on short brick columns and dedicated in September of 1876. A few days later, a big storm hit. As often happens when hurricanes strike this region of the Carolinas, floodwaters rose quick uh, from the sound in the creeks surrounding Swan Quarter, and it rose five feet that day, five feet or more. The flood lifted up this Methodist church building from its brick piers, floated it down Oyster Creek to Main Street, made a right turn, and then a left jog off the street and ended up nestling onto Sadler's lot. And there was a a young person that, well, she she actually passed away uh, in the 1950s, but she was 10 years old. She saw this whole thing unfold out her house window. And the floodwaters settled that building. And that is exactly where it is still to this day. The story goes that Sadler was convinced the church was moved by the hand of God. And he agreed to just donate that lot (laughs) to the church. Isn't that amazing? Why? Why do we go so far to figure out ways that God isn't working and try to explain it away. 
Sadler didn't. He's like, okay, I'm done. You got it, God. Have the lot. He didn't even charge him for it. He gave it to him. That church, through further hurricanes, was damaged and restored, damaged and restored. And finally, the church merged with a different church outside of town. But the building is still there. And you know what it's used for? It's used to house the people that come in for relief work, like our MDS teams. They house the workers that come in to clean up after storms and floods. The work of God is still going on in that building that God's hand moved where it was supposed to be. Now we believe, don't we, that God can move buildings and shape lives and change hearts and change minds and we need to have that kind of compassion that Jesus had for that woman at the well. A compassion and a love that said, I'm still here. I still offer you grace after all the brokenness. And let's keep praying. Let's pray for signs and wonders. Let's pray for God to move and work in ways that will make no sense in this world. But it will make a lot of sense in the kingdom of heaven. As we sing and invite the team to come up, we sing this song. This is a very simple song about believing. May we have the belief today that that nobleman had as he came to Jesus, believing that he could do miracles and make lives change.